This is TV Take, Variety's television podcast. I'm Daniel Holloway. This week, we talk with Bruno Heller, executive producer of Epix's Pennyworth. Stay tuned. Bruno Heller, thank you for doing this. Great pleasure to be here. So you've got Pennyworth coming up on Epix, which uh, explores the story of Alfred Pennyworth, who we know is Batman's butler. Mm -hmm. It seems like... uh, at first, a fairly narrow niche mm-hmm. of the Batman story to dive into in the mm-hmm. form of a series. What made you confident that there was a lot there to explore? Um, well, firstly, from a personal point of view, really the only DC characters I'm interested in are the, are the real people, and there's not many of them. Um, Gotham, which I just finished, was obviously about... Um, uh, Commissioner Gordon, as it as he became, um, and young Bruce Wayne, and those are two human beings um, with no superpowers. Um, and moving forward into the future, um, you know, a lot of people put it. To, you know, did they want you to do Captain Boomerang? Um, uh, but in fact, you know, to a degree, I would have liked to have done Alfred before Gotham because Alfred is a an extremely well-known mythic character that nobody really knows the backstory of. So there's a huge, there's a great amount of leeway to tell any kind of story you want. Um, It was also a way to tell a story in a completely new part of the DC universe, which is London in the early 60s. Um, And that, um, my very early childhood was in this world that we're, we're looking at, or rather real London, not the pretend London we're in. Um, So for all those reasons and the fact that um, Sir Michael Caine insisted that his Alfred was an SAS soldier meant that there was a a real story to be told just with the sort of simple question of how does a a, a SAS soldier become a butler? Um, That's a strange journey. And how did he get from London to America? And then once started thinking about what kind of world London would be in a DC universe. Um, uh, It opened up all kinds of great possibilities because it can't be like the American DC world because there's no superheroes in England. Um, English people can't wear spandex. Um, (laughs) There has been no successful uh, British superhero um, in the history of comics uh, a Union Jack is the only one I can think of, and that was nobody is is hoping for a Union Jack revival. Um, we'll get there. We're, we're yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah. I mean, I could go on. Um, the niche aspect of 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 the character is again what attracted to me because it's a you can tell a simple story. I mean, one of the the challenges making Gotham was it rapidly became a kind of carnival pageant with, you know, there's so many great characters and, and the pressure to put all of them in there as quickly as possible um, was, you know, understandable and very strong. But in, in retrospect, I would say to the detriment of storytelling because it becomes like one life to live. You have seven powerful storylines all running at the same time. And 
here you're working with epics rather than working mm. with the US broadcaster mm. where the pressures and the demands of your network partner are I imagine completely different. So yeah. were those conversations that you know you and the folks at Warner Brothers had with them in terms of how you wanted to pace the story and like look mm. we are not you know I'm I'm assuming that we're not going to see the Riddler mm. pop up in episode yeah. 4. Uh Exactly. Um, it, it, it was a chance both to tell, I mean, it's hard to parse the difference between adult and kind of not adult entertainment, but being on a, on a premium cable station means that there is a, there is a duty to find the edge of the material, um, to give people something they haven't seen before. Um, and people don't want to see the DC show that they have seen before it or they might expect. You have to surprise them. You have to give them genuine adult themes and and character. And within WB and with Epics, we talked about that a great deal before we got into it. Um, and it was always intended. I wouldn't have done this show in any other format. It couldn't be a broadcast show um, because it would you would be forced into a kind of hijinks Avengers style. Oh, I mean, Patrick McNee Avengers style um, adventure. And this is much more of a, a family drama uh, and, and character based. That said, you have um, Alfred is central to the show. Mm. You have Thomas and Martha Wayne in the show. Mm. So how do you, how do you, walk the line between creating what at least in the in the early episodes looks very much like a british spy drama in that tradition mm -hmm. um and not very much like a superhero show mm -hmm. um with the idea that most people who look at this thing they want some bit of batman um well people don't always get what they want um <laughs> and but sometimes they get what they need um uh <laughs> From my point of view, um, you can't worry too much about that because creatively the, you want to be as free as possible. And it's precisely that these characters, as much as people know them, I don't think people have a, a very firm and kind of religious notion of who Thomas or Martha Wayne should be, for instance. They're kind of blank slates. So we, we're not betraying some long-held... Uh, iconic notion of who those people should be. Um, I would assure people if they are worried that Thomas does eventually become a doctor, um, but he's not at this moment. Um, and and even then, if they have those notions, it's better to surprise them and challenge them than simply give them exactly what they expected. Um, and the freedom to work with those characters is is what attracted me to it. Um, you know, they're only known for their deaths, really. Um, what I'd say to people who want a bit of Batman in it is that you don't really understand anyone until you've met their parents. And um, they will meet Batman's parents. Um, and in the portrayal of those two people, um, we're very, we were very aware. Of, of that lineage and we kind of explain in their characters the two sides of the character that make up Batman because there is a 
there's a kind of dutiful Apollonian side, which is Thomas and a, an impulsive, vengeful, fearless side, which is Martha. Um, and those, those two DNAs come together. And part of the fun is, is seeing these two people who really don't look like they should be together. That's the advantage of stories where people know the end. Um, and one of the problems as well with all of the Batman and these mythic stories, when people know the end of the story, you have to take a completely different approach to how you're telling the story, obviously. And I would imagine um, in telling the story of Alfred, I mean, you are also in some way doing what you're talking about with the portrayal of Thomas and Martha in the sense that, you know, these were Bruce's parents. Mm. But Alfred is the person who raised him, and so it it makes sense that this would be someone who, you know, when you think of him as, you know, anything, sort of any incarnation of Alfred prior maybe to the Nolan movies was always just this sort of like cartoon version of an English butler, right? Mm -hmm. But like what Kane hinted at and what you seem to be diving into is that this is a guy who like understands, you know, violence and the and the world mm-hmm. in a way that you know, Bruce Wayne eventually comes to. Yeah, and the the other thing that um the the Nolans and and Kane added to it which is much more true to the actual life of a butler is that butlers are working class. Um and in part of the British class system in a very kind of weird um uh halfway point um you know Jeremy Irons is not a butler. Uh there's no posh butlers, um, so that was that was absolutely part of of the the storytelling and you know the mystery of how he got from where he is to where he's going. Um, what inspired that loyalty to the Wayne family? That's something that we will explore. Um, we were very lucky to get Jack Bannon to play the part because. And there was some discussion at the beginning about is this does this guy seem too soft and baby faced to be that character? But um, you know, because the the other way to go is to make him an obvious tough guy, sort of Jason Statham man of action character. Um, and we wanted to tell a story about someone who is genuinely conflicted, as Batman eventually is about. What his his talent is? He's a young soldier. Um, his talent is violence, um, but it's also the thing that he wants to get as far away from as possible. Um, the trouble with violence is it's addictive, um, and uh, as part of the research into, it, I was reading um, Sebastian Junger's book about soldiers with PTSD. Um, and the actual hardcore combat soldiers are not haunted. I mean, this is a generalization, but they're not haunted by the terrible things they've done. They've haunted. They're haunted by the boredom of regular life, and they miss the the adrenaline rush of being close to death. That's what drives them mad. Not not that they're mad, but that's what drives them to the edge. Not um, a revulsion at it, but a terrible love hate of it. What, what were some of the other things that you looked at in terms of research? And also, you know, as we said before, this is in many ways in the tradition of British spy novels and spy movies. Um, 
so what were some of the, in addition to some of the research material, what were some of the narrative things that you were looking at as, you know, maybe like points of reference or inspiration? Um, funnily, I mean, people characterize it as spy um, genre, but I never really thought of that. Um, it was the luxury of having an alternative history, and it's a very alternative history of, of, of England, is that it allowed me to create um, a nascent civil war. Um, and what I looked at a lot was both the American Civil War and the British Civil War in the much earlier. Um, and the, the salient and intriguing point about both of those uh, conflicts is that it pitted brother against brother and members of families against their closest relatives and friends against friend and almost impossible to tell where the, the fault lines lay um, and many people were stuck in the middle and didn't know what side to choose. Um, and that creates the kind of intrigues and betrayals and espionage and, and broken trust that are the fodder of good storytelling. Um, so I looked into that a lot. Um, and beyond that, like I say, it's kind of, that was the, that's the England of my early childhood. Um, it's basically the England of my early childhood, but as if certain aspects of the liberal revolution and uh, had not happened. So there's still hangings, there's still gibbets on the street, there's still torture. Um, uh, and there's other things I avoided. Um, so I didn't want to make it, uh, I, I think the easy thing to do would have made it to make it a kind of parallel of modern politics and comment on, on the modern world, you know, racism, sexism, all of those isms. Um, but there you, you kind of have to, this day and age, you're sort of forced to take sides. And one of the other things I like about this is as much as the, the far right, who we call the Raven Society, are the bad guys, um, there's good and bad on both sides. And precisely as the story unfolds, it's difficult to tell, difficult to say who's right and who's wrong all the time. And that's, that's hard to do unless you create a world in which people can dissociate themselves from their own modern sensibility. Was that, was, was that part of the fun or the appeal of doing this, this idea of because you have a superhero universe, even if it's mm. one where we don't have superheroes, you can then play with what 1960s London looks look like. You can have an England where the liberal revolution never took place because those things are really jarring in this yeah. show when we first see them because we're used to, say, Batman stories where it's like, this is a hyper-realistic version of mm -hmm. Batman. If you took Chicago and dropped Batman into mm -hmm. it at 4 p.m., that's a Nolan movie, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. No, absolutely. The freedom that you get, but both in sort of spectacle in terms of giving the audience new sensations, um, that alternative world is is great. And it also means that um, you, can, you have much more freedom in the writing of what can happen. You can be shocking and unrealistic in ways that accuracy to the period would, you know, London in 1962 was kind of a grim, sad, depressed place. Um, the notion that of swinging London 
even when it was at the height of its swingingness, was, you know, there were 50 people in Chelsea who were having a swing in time. Everybody else was, you know, sniffing glue and uh, sitting on the tube. Um, so, yeah, being able to make it a glamorous, uh, heightened, sexy, even surreal version of that world was was key. And being out, that meant you could put in people like the famous Satanist Alistair Crowley. It means you can put in the the ancestors of Jack the Ripper. Um, because those, um, those folkloric mythical heroes in English culture are kind of the equivalent of, of the superheroes of American culture. And they're also characters that people in America and around the world are familiar with. Um, so we'll keep playing with those sort of tropes as well as bringing in what people call the Easter eggs. I've never understood why they call them Easter eggs. Um, Easter eggs are sort of horrible, bad chocolate with a plastic toy inside. Um, but, uh, yeah, those for those reasons, um, I don't think I would have wanted to do a, a straight-up 1960s period drama um, just because... Yeah, to be accurate to it, it's 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 not a glamorous or or exciting world. You you spent a good chunk of the your recent career on a Batman story, and now you're mm. making another one. Mm. And if this is successful, you will end up having spent yeah. an enormous amount of your career on Batman stories. Yeah, what? What was what 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 was appealing about the pro, about that prospect and what and did you yeah. have concerns? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, my career arc has gone from Anthony and Cleopatra to Batman's Butler, <laughs> which looked sort of like a downhill run. Um, uh, and I hadn't haven't got a. I was concerned, um, and it still does concern me because, frankly, I'm not. Um, you know, I always feel slightly out of place at Comic-Con because I really don't know about, you know, the the deep mythology of, of any of these comic book characters. Uh, we didn't have, uh, you know, American comics didn't get to England in bulk until the 80s. Um, a, I like to work. I'd rather be working on any damn thing than developing um, or going out pitching. Um B, uh, as, as soon as it, you know, my first response when they said, how about Pennyworth? It was as if someone said, how about Captain Boomerang? Um, but then, you know, I thought about all the things that we've just been talking about and realized, actually, no, this is a great character. Um, regardless of the DC connection, regardless of the Batman connection, it's a great story to tell. And I could immediately see the the opportunities to create this surreal version of, of a city I know and love and characters I know and love. It's the first time in my career that I've been able to write in English. I, you know, I'd never written any kind of English character before, except obviously Alfred on, on Gotham. So that was a, um, a, a plus as well. And, you know, these days... Looking at the the market from a business point of view, if you don't have some kind of IP 
or some kind of uh, very challenging material that will create a lot of buzz and controversy or huge stars, um, then you're it's a very tough market. So it's always better to have something that people at least know the name of. Um, you know, we couldn't have done Rome if it wasn't about Antony and Cleopatra and Caesar. Um, there's a thousand great Roman stories to tell, but if Cleopatra ain't in it, well, um, so for all those reasons, um, I, I decided to do this. I mean, I won't, I won't do Captain Boomerang. I, I did this one on the understanding with Warner Brothers that the next thing would be as far as not as far as possible away from it. I love this show and I love this material. And I'm deeply grateful for the time I've spent with DC and Warner Brothers. But yeah, the next thing I do won't um, won't be in this genre. Uh, the other thing is obviously that, you know, old white guys like me um, have, have to look to our mortality in this business. Um, it would be foolish to think that, um, well, actually I could, and, you know, the next thing I'm going to do is will be, oh, this is fresh and shocking and new. Um, no one's seen it before. But on the other hand, you know, that's not what people are necessarily looking for in the market. And it would be foolish not to recognize that, yeah, there's, it's a bit like uh, old screenwriters and, and directors had to look at themselves when Easy Rider came out, you know. Um, doesn't matter how good you are or what great stories you have to tell. When when there's a sea change like like that and this, you'd be a fool not to. Okay, <laughs> I'd, I'd better. You know, you need you need to find ways to keep in the game. So then, when you look at whatever the next thing is mm. for you, um, how much do you feel given how much the marketplace has changed? And I mean, and and let's put on the table what we're talking about. Like you know, there's um, there's a lot of energy right now behind creators who are women and women and people of color and mm -hmm. you know essentially people who have not long had the door open to them mm -hmm. to create stuff especially mm -hmm. on this scale mm. um so then how do you what do you have to change the type of you know one tack obviously is to take something like pennyworth and like create something unexpected mm. out of that you know what what is a known property um but then when you look at other ways to approach it how much do you have to push yourself outside of your own comfort zone um, actually, you know, uh, for me, I don't feel like it's out of my comfort zone at all because, um, well, no, that would be sort of self-serving, but I've always written very strong female characters. Um, if, if you look at all the shows I've done there, it would be hard to say that women are short, given short shrift in terms of their voice or, or the power that they have. Um, and, uh, as far as the, 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 for want of a better word, the race element goes diversity. Um, that's just a, a great opportunity because frankly, the, the, the inertia has been corporate inertia, business inertia. Um, it's been difficult to cast minorities in 
you know pivotal roles that people have in their head are are um are not diverse uh you know for instance on pennyworth i suggested that martha could be a woman of color now if i'd said that you know 3 years ago people have said mm, yeah that's a great idea and well they wouldn't have said it's a great idea they would have just said no she's she's batman's mum she's she's an anglo-saxon or something but at this point um they said oh yeah okay um now she isn't but we did have women of color coming in to to play the part with the real possibility that they might get it as long as as long as it doesn't become a kind of a a a quota um or or a or an imperative then then it's a great thing um i would you know uh, well i was about to say i don't want to be controversial but i don't mind being controversial um i think it i think you have to make draw a distinction between diversity and one of a better word sexism because it's a it's a rewriting or a misunderstanding of history to say that there have been no powerful women in hollywood the most powerful people in hollywood have been women at various times lucille ball shonda rhimes um you know, i know people what may west incredibly powerful woman olivia de havilland uh, betty davis uh in terms of in the executive offices less so um and in terms of directors also less so um but many great female writers um that have been given not been given enough credit on the one hand it's it's a sea change that you get more people in but it's also um a forgetting of history um that it's always been possible for women to succeed in the business they have to be strong um tough-skinned um and and brilliant but that's true of everyone in the business not obviously i'm not don't include myself in that but um yeah we were talking before um we started recording about uh the sort of whether there was still uh a division in the town between the tv people mm. and the movie people um and i'm wondering as someone who has sort of lived through the peak tv revolution mm. and is now uh you know sort of firmly established as someone who can survive in it mm. um do you still see the you know for lack of a better word snobbery in town when we talk about tv um you certainly see it from tv i mean from movie executives um i think they're living in a kind of dream world um because clearly tv is the is the place to be it's where all the really creative new things are happening um movies movies have become very um stale is the wrong word but uh and formulaic and and kind of it's like building a skyscraper they're far too elaborate and big and and have so many people have to be involved to create them and it's such a disappointment to everyone if they don't if they're not blockbusters there's very very little creativity left in in big movies and you know it's always a surprise and people are overjoyed when they get one of those tentpole movies that actually has some 
intelligence and wit and freshness behind it. Um, uh, so yeah, for me, like uh, you know, let them be snobby about it if they want. Um, it, also, it, it's you know that's where the the movie stars are, and still people who've been in this town for a long time uh, can get drunk on the notion of being involved with the big names. Um, but as you're increasingly seeing, the big names would rather be in a TV series than in yet another movie, which, apart from anything else, no one has any control over those movies once they're started. They just happen. And, you know, however much you're paid, you suddenly find yourself in some, whatever you if you want to describe, piece of shit. Um, you're stuck. And so you're building these massive edifices that might be made out of crud. Um, whereas a TV show... Um, you can actually have input. It's much more like theatre. Um, you can respond to the audience. You, you have time to develop the character and find new ways to go. In every respect, it's a better um, creative place to be. Um, and, you know, you name the big movie star, I would tell them, like, get the hell out of that business and get into TV because TV is... I think that, you know, a lot of these platforms will drop away. There won't be as many things made because right now it's all loss leaders. Um, and people have seen that you can do a huge TV show that disappears like into a swamp, like no one ever saw it. It didn't exist. Once that, once that sort of stuff is sorted out, um, then it's obviously a better place to be. Bruno, thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with Brandy Rhodes and Cody Rhodes of All Elite Wrestling.